Glad that you could be here to worship with us this weekend. If you have been with us through the last several weeks, you know we have just wrapped up the One Another series. And this week we are starting on a brand new series, obviously a Christmas series. We're decorated for Christmas. We're in the holiday spirit. And this is the first week of a new series called A Divine Interruption. It's our Christmas series. And no matter what happens in the following weeks, just remember I was first. It's fun to kick off a new series, and I, I'm glad that we get to do this this week because everybody's already sort of in the holiday spirit. You heard what um, Pastor Nick had to say. People have been already buying gifts and giving gifts, and we want to take this time as we kick off a new series to spend a few minutes refocusing ourselves on the holiday season. You know, holidays can be a very busy time. You're out searching for the perfect gift or the perfect tree. Um, You go from holiday thing to holiday thing to Christmas thing. And after a while, you can get so busy with so much stuff going on that you don't pause to take some time to really reflect on what Christmas is about. And in your, in your bulletins, the sermon's titled, What Happened in Bethlehem? You know, when something, ha- something happens in your neighborhood, if you see the fire trucks there, the ambulance, everybody says, what happened? If you come home and a lamp's broken in your living room, you want to know what happened? You know, when it, we have these events in life, people ask, what happened? They want to know what happened. And in Bethlehem during this time, something happened that was very significant. And what we want to do this morning is sort of answer a question. And the question is, what happened in Bethlehem? And why did Jesus come? What was his purpose for coming to earth? And we want to take those, these few minutes today and just refocus ourselves on the Christmas season and what it's about and what it means to us as people who are trying to follow God with all our heart, soul, and strength. So I thought if we were going to kick off a new season, we needed to start by going very deep theologically. So I'd like to talk about the Grinch. You know, I was watching this cartoon, again, probably for the hundredth time, and I know you guys have probably seen the Grinch many times yourself. Yeah, I kind of like the show. I was watching the cartoon version of it, not the movie. But the Grinch, you know, I don't know what this guy's problem was. When I was thinking about this, you know, the guy had a pretty nice house. He lived all the way up in the mountains. He had the best views of anybody. People would kill to have views like that. You know, he could see all the other mountaintops. He could see down into Whoville. He really had extraordinary views for where he was. He had kind of a cave house, but it was all right. It had a fireplace in there, and he had a little dog that followed him around. He wasn't very nice to the dog, but the dog was sure committed to him, so at least he had a friend up there. He had a refrigerator or cabinet full of beans, so he had stuff to eat. So what's this guy's problem? You know, every year, the same thing would happen. He would hear these sounds coming up from Whoville celebrating Christmas, and it just made him madder and madder, and he would get jealous And he misunderstood Christmas, so much so that he kind of made Christmas about stuff. And he thought, boy, if I could go down there and just take their stuff, that would really ruin their whole celebration. I I took a little excerpt out of the story that I wanted to read to you. And a couple things really stand out to me in the story of the Grinch. It says, the Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps his shoes were too tight. But I think that most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. 
See, the Grinch didn't really understand the meaning of Christmas. It meant very little to him. He really just thought this was about stuff. And you could say what you want about the Grinch, and you could say what you want about that story. Maybe you don't like that one. You have a better one. But one thing's sure when you, when you watch the Grinch, uh, the story, he had a very clear mission. His mission was to ruin Christmas by taking people's stuff. And that's what he did. He set out to accomplish his mission. He knew why he was there. And you know, knowing our mission is really important. When we think about what happened in Bethlehem and why God sent Jesus Christ to be born on earth, what we need to ask ourselves is what was his mission? Why did Jesus come? I was on a missions trip uh, several years ago to Cape Town, South Africa, and there was about 12 to 14 of us on this team. I forget the exact number, but Pastor Jim Entwistle was leading it. And uh, it's a very long trip to Cape Town. I, we were like on a flight for 18 hours doing all this travel. And we got to Cape Town, South Africa. We hit the ground. Everybody was beat, so they took us to a place where we could recover and sleep a little bit. And we got up, and they took us to this Nazarene church in a very small little township or a very small little village in South Africa. And we went there, and here comes, you know, these 14 Americans come walking into this little Nazarene church. And, of course, they knew we were from out of town almost immediately when we walked in. And as our liaison there was talking to the pastor, the pastor wanted the entire team to come up and stand before the church. So all of us, all 14 of us, prayed up there, and we make a semicircle. And we thought, oh, this is nice. He's going to pray for you know, everybody for our team and everything. And instead, he hands a microphone to the first person, and he says, why did you come here? And I thought, okay, good. Pastor Jim's going to explain it, and then we're all set. No, he didn't, know what, why the, he didn't want to know why the group came. He wanted to know why we, as individuals, came to South Africa. And they passed that mic around person by person to all 14 of us for all of us to tell why we came to South Africa. See, it was important for them to know what our mission was. The senior pastor wanted to hear, why were you here? You know, if you've ever met missionaries, they're usually pretty clear on this. I know Jody and Kathy Adams are here from FASA. They're visiting right now. Ask Jody and Kathy, why are you in South Africa? They'll tell you their mission. Ben and Christy Williams will be here from the Ukraine next weekend. Ask Ben and Christy Williams, why are you in the Ukraine? They're going to tell you their mission, what their purpose was. Almost any life event that we have, we usually have a purpose for it. Even if it's as simple as going to the grocery store, you know, if someone were to stop you in the grocery store and say, hey, why are you here? You should probably know. You know, it's to get milk or to get eggs or whatever it is that you're buying. Um, if you go, no matter what, where you go, you usually have a reason for it. There's usually a purpose behind it. So it's only right when we enter into the Christmas season that the most celebrated, most over-commercialized, most overdone, blown-out holiday of the year, we need to ask the question, what happened in Bethlehem? Why did Jesus come? What was his mission? What was his purpose? Because when we clarify those questions, it helps us to understand the significance of Christmas. When we understand those questions, every time we hear the word holiday replace Christmas, we should cringe because we know that they're taking away from the true meaning of Christmas. We need to answer that question so that we can really refocus ourselves on what Christmas is all about and really answer the question as to what happened in Bethlehem. 
In order to do that, we need to take one step back and maybe just look at a a few doctrinal questions about who God is. Because answering who God is really helps us to understand what happened in Bethlehem. To answer who God is, we need to look back at Genesis 1-1, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. See, God is the creator of the universe and all in it. He made it. He's supernatural. He made something out of nothing. God spoke, and it was done. He spoke, and it was created. He's a supernatural God. But along with that, he's also a personal God. God speaks with his creation. He speaks to us in the conviction of our conscience. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other believers. He speaks to us in quiet moments. His fingerprints are all over the world around us, in nature, in the attributes of other believers, because we're made the image of God. We could see God all around us. And when you think about this supernatural God who speaks with his creation, it's an extraordinary thing to celebrate. Not only does he speak with his creation, he wants to have a relationship with his creation. This message, as we talk about it, we look in just a few simple scripture passages. My hope is that this is sort of like a funnel. We start bigger and we get tighter and tighter and smaller until we can really answer those questions. Why did Jesus come? So I invite you to pray with me right before we look into the scripture, and let's ask God to be here with us today. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have set apart in our week to come together as a church family, to worship you in song, to worship you with our praises and to worship you by looking into your word. God, I pray as we study some scripture this morning that this would have new meaning to us. I pray that this scripture would help us to refocus ourselves as we enter into this holiday season and that this would truly be a Christmas where our hearts and minds are set with you. So God, please dwell here among us this morning. In your name, amen. As we talk about this passage, one of the things I wanted to do is set up the historical time frame for those of you who are history buffs or you enjoy the history part of it. Uh, You'll like this part for those who don't uh, just tolerate it because it's important to where the story goes. But this happens in the time frame of the Great Roman Empire. And the Great Roman Empire was preceded by the Greek Empire, which was preceded by the Persian Empire. Some of these things are important because it helps us to understand the context and time frame of when Jesus was born and what was happening. It was considered a very modern time frame, the Great Roman Empire. Cargo and the shipping industry was very sophisticated. There were shipping ports. It was very easy to send things back and forth. The road system in ancient Rome under the Great Roman Empire was one of the best road systems ever created. In fact, if you've ever heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome, that was based on this time period. Their Amazon deliveries were probably flawless put them in a chariot, and they could get them right to your house. And that's because of how good the road system was. The language had been mostly unified, and that had happened in the preceding empire under the Greek empire. The universal language really was Greek. 
And that's important because most of the countries now all, sp- all spoke the Greek language, which made communication a lot easier. Travel was also easier because the language was unified and because the road system was better. It was easy to travel from place to place. There wasn't a language barrier. The roads were better. Um, it was very easy to get around. Safety was now better because the Roman guard was a powerful peacekeeping force. Even though they had brutal tactics to keep people in line, things were generally safe. So it was safe to travel. It was easy to travel. Taxes were also high during this time. They were high and they were systematic. They were established by the great Roman Empire, but it helped with those major conveniences of road systems and uh, shipping ports and all those types of things. So their taxes were a very sophisticated system, and uh, we have read all through uh, the New Testament about tax collectors being despised. People weren't real happy with them, but that was part of what happened during the great Roman Empire. But for all of these things, it was considered a very modern and sophisticated time. And the great, under the great Roman Empire, these Romans thought, how could things get any better or any more modern than what they are today? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? How could things get any better or any more modern than they are today? How could our internet get better? How could it be easier to get packages delivered to our house? But for as modern as they were in the great Roman Empire, they were also very, very lost. They were lost because they were living apart from God. In your bulletins, under the idea in the top part, it says, Jesus arrived to seek and to save the lost. In this message today, we're really only looking at one small verse. There's going to be others that we reference. But this one small verse really gives us the mission and the purpose that Jesus was here to accomplish. And this particular verse in Luke 19 that we're going to be looking at, Jesus was visiting the chief tax collector in Jericho. It was a guy named Zacchaeus. He was not well-liked or well-thought of, but he was doing his service to the Roman Empire and collecting these taxes. And Jesus goes to see this man at his house because Zacchaeus was a very, very lost soul. In fact, in Luke 19.10, which is the main verse we're going to look at, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a pretty easy verse. I encourage you to commit it to memory. You know, don't do that a whole lot anymore. We do it in Sunday school with the kids. But as adults, we need to do this too. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you can get that verse committed to your memory, it clarifies in one simple verse the mission of Jesus. It clarifies in one simple verse, why did Jesus come? It clarifies in one simple verse what happened in Bethlehem. What happened is the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost by being our Savior. Point number one in your outline reads, Who is the Son of Man? It's important for us to clarify that because if you notice when Jesus says this, he doesn't say, I am God and God came to seek and save the lost. He says, for the Son of Man. It's an important distinction because we see that this is God in the flesh. And Daniel 7, uh, 13 through 14 Hundreds of years before Jesus is born, Daniel prophesies. And when he gives this prophecy, he, pro- he gives this prophecy about someone called the Son of Man. In Daniel seven thirteen, it says, I saw the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days. Now, Ancient of Days is a reference to God. It's another name that we use for God. It says, He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. See, Daniel prophesies years ahead of the birth of Christ that one is coming who they'll call the Son of Man. And the Son of Man phrasing is significant because it emphasizes that Jesus came in the flesh. He took on the form of man and humanity to dwell among us and become our Savior. Now, when you back up and you put this in the context of God, the creator of the universe, the supernatural God who spoke and things were created, and he sends his son to dwell among us. He sends his son to be the son of man. And the son of man experienced cold and hunger and thirst He experienced tiredness, exhaustion, feelings of frustration, feelings of anger, sympathy, empathy, the same things that we feel. And God sent him so that he would be relatable, so that his creation would have someone that they're relatable to that can be their perfect sacrifice and their savior. You know, having someone relatable is really important. And I remember when I was working in camping ministry, and I know I use uh, camping illustrations a lot, but it was really significant for me in in forming uh, a lot of my early ministry experiences. But I was 17 years old, and I had this group of campers in my cabin. I remember I had this one kid that I could not get this kid to toe the line. This kid was being a real pain. You know, we'd go go down for uh, like lining up for dinner. This kid would be pulling trees out of the ground. Uh, he was late to everything. He forgot everything. I don't remember what his name is. We'll just call him Eddie or Russ or something like that. But this kid was really giving me a hard time, you know, for a couple days. Everywhere we went, this kid was like, over and over. So finally, one day I get this kid. I got him on a split rail fence. He's sitting there and I'm really giving it to him. I'm like, you got to get yourself in shape. you got to toe the line. You know, we can't keep having this. I'm going to call your mom if you don't straighten up. You know, I'm really giving it to this kid. And we had another staff member there named John. And John was like the head honcho. But John had grown up at the camp. And John had done every single job on the camp. He had been a counselor. He worked in the kitchen. He worked on maintenance. He had been the director. And now he's, he's the head honcho. So there wasn't really anything that we were going through that John hadn't already done in years past. So John walks up, and I'll never forget this, and he says, uh, he said, hey, what's, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, you know, this knucklehead kid, it's kid Eddie, I can't get him in line. You know, he keeps messing up, and we're trying to get from one place to another. He's holding us up, and John says, let me talk to him for a minute. So John says to him, he says, hey, man, when's your birthday? And the kid says, well, my birthday was Sunday when my mom dropped me off. He's like, you got to be kidding me. We got a big bowl of ice cream in the kitchen for anybody whose birthday was on Sunday. Come on and come get it. The kid jumps down off the fence. He goes and gets the bowl of ice cream. I never had another problem with this kid the rest of the week. Straightened up. But see, it took somebody who had been through that before to share that wisdom with me. Someone who was relatable. Someone who knows what I had gone through to show me the right way to handle that. In Hebrews 4.15, it reminds us, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
See, God sent Jesus Christ to dwell on earth. It's God in the flesh. And it's someone who's relatable. It's someone who has gone through the same things that we've gone through. But he's done it without sin. The Son of Man is unique. The Son of Man is the most important thing that we could talk about at Christmas time. It's what happened in Bethlehem. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And when the Son of Man speaks, we ought to be listening. Point number two in your outline says, Who is lost? Again, in that verse, Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. You know, people get lost in many ways. We can be physically lost, like in your location. You can be driving somewhere and have no idea where you are, and you could be lost. You can be intellectually lost in a conversation where, you know, people are talking about a deep subject, and you're nodding along, and you're like, yeah, yeah. And in your mind, you're saying, I have no idea what they're talking about. You can be emotionally lost where you're just overcome with emotions and overcome by your circumstances. You can be financially lost, relationally lost. Your marriage can be lost. Parentally, with your kids, you can be lost and not know what to do. Your career may be lost. On and on and on. There are so many ways that we can be lost in this world. But when Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost, he's talking about those who are spiritually lost. People who have no relationship with God. People who are lost spiritually. Enter the great Roman Empire that Jesus is born into in Bethlehem. The people are lost They're in a modern, sophisticated time, but they have no relationship with God. They are spiritually lost. You know, it's not hard to see in Scripture when you read all the way from Genesis through the Bible. Time and time again, you read about people who are lost. People have lost their way spiritually. They're in no man's land. They have no relationship with God. Colossians 1, 18 through 22 clarifies for us some of the missions of Jesus. And it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent before all those things. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. See, this verse reminds us in the past, in the present, and the people in the future, we are lost spiritually. And we needed someone to reconcile us to this supernatural God who is the creator of the universe. And God makes that way for us to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. And when we're lost, there should be an urgency to be found. Anyone who's ever lost someone understands this urgency. I remember years ago taking my two daughters to an Eagles game, Meredith and Cassidy. Meredith is the older one, and Meredith was probably about 15. We'll say that she was 15 because it makes me sound better. Um, She was probably about 15 at the time, and we were watching the game, and she wanted to go get a soda. So I said, you're old enough. Go ahead. You can go get a soda. I'll sit here with Cassidy. And Meredith got up, and she went to go get a soda. And after a while, she didn't come back. And there's about 50,000, 60,000 people at an Eagles game. And I'm sitting there with my younger daughter. My older daughter doesn't come back. 
and there's a sense of urgency that comes over me. And I said, come on, we got to go find your sister. So I grab Cassidy and we walk up into the concourse and I don't see her anywhere. And the thoughts start to go through your head of, oh my gosh, I just lost my kid. And there's almost a panic that sets in. When down the way, I see Meredith coming up another set of stairs uh, from another aisle. And she had just gotten confused and walked down the wrong one. I remember she came back and she's like, real funny, Dad. You guys switch your seats. I'm like, no, we didn't switch our seats. You went down the wrong aisle. But the urgency in my heart and the urgency in my mind and, and the thought of losing a kid and her being lost set off all kinds of alarms. There was a desire in my heart to find her because she was lost. In Psalm 139, 16 through 17, it says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God, because they cannot be numbered. We have a God that since before I was born was already thinking about me. The psalmist tells us that his thoughts cannot be numbered. He's had those thoughts about me. He's had those thoughts about you. See, there's an urgency in God, the Creator's mind, that he wants to be reconciled to the lost. What happened in Bethlehem? Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save those who are lost. There's an urgency. Point number three in your outline says, how are people found? You know, God has never stopped thinking about us, even when we were lost. And he wants us to be found. And how are we found? It's through opportunity. Jesus was born into this world and coming at Christmas time. And, and that's why we celebrate this time, because it provides us the opportunity to be found. It provides us with the opportunity to be reconciled to our creator. You know, if we go back to our Grinch story for just a moment, the Grinch had set out on his mission to destroy Christmas, and he had gathered up all the town of Whoville. He took all their presents. And in this triumphant moment, he takes this huge bag of presents and he holds it up over his head. And the story goes that something happened inside of him. In fact, I think the story says his heart grew three times that day. And in a moment, he was changed. You know, for us, that moment happens in our lives. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, the rebirth, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, in a moment, we are changed. It's how we're found. God does this miraculous work. It happens in the moment. It's the moment that you realize that what happened in Bethlehem is not just a feel-good Christmas story, but rather a life-changing event orchestrated by God himself to convey how much he loves us and willing to be Emmanuel, God with us, and come to earth and dwell among lost and sinful people so that we may be saved by his mercy and his grace. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time is the mercy of God, the grace of God on a sinful and lost world. I was watching a YouTube video, and this YouTube video was talking to, and, you know, this guy was going around, and he was in a big city, and he was saying, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And, you know, people were telling him, and he would go to the store, and he'd buy it for him, and he'd give it to him. He was spreading some Christmas cheer. You know, he's doing all kinds of things, and he came up, and there was a homeless guy. And he asked this homeless guy on the street, he says, 
sir, if you could have anything for Christmas, what would you like for Christmas? And this homeless guy kind of staggers, and he thinks for a minute, he says, well, nothing for me. And he don't deserve it, but he doesn't have any shoes. So I guess if I could have anything for Christmas, I wish he would get a size, pair of size 12 sneakers that he could have so that he could have some shoes. That's what I would want. When I was thinking about that story, here's this guy gets offered, you can have whatever you want for Christmas. And he says, he don't deserve it, but he could really use some shoes. You know, and I watched the video. The guy went and bought him the sneakers and bought these guys some, some food to eat and gave it to them. Uh, if you watch the video, it'll put you in tears. It's, it's so touching and so moving how he did it. But when I thought about that, he don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But it's through God's mercy and grace that he sends Jesus Christ to be born. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time to dwell in the flesh among us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We don't deserve it. But it's through God's grace that he gives us this gift that we celebrate at Christmas time. And every time we pass a manger and every time we see a Christmas tree or we give a present to someone else, we should be reminded and refocused of the great thing that God, the creator of the universe, did for us at Christmas time by sending Jesus Christ to be born, by sending the Son of Man to dwell among us and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. What happened in Bethlehem? The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. It was a divine interruption into a lost world. I think it would be great if years from now down the road, someone wrote a sermon that said, what happened at FAC? And the answer was, the people told others about Bethlehem. The people told others that there's a Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning to look into your word. And God, you are the great creator of all things. And the fact that you want a relationship with us, that you speak to your creation, is truly miraculous. God, we thank you for sending your son. We, God, we confess we get so busy at Christmas time that we can sometimes forget what the real meaning is. And the real meaning is that you came to dwell among us. You came to be that sacrifice for us. We are a privileged and honored people that you would do this with your creation. So God, I pray that this would be a Christmas season where we stay focused on you, where we tell others about you, where we help others to understand what really happened in Bethlehem. It's not a feel-good holiday story. It's a life-changing event that was orchestrated by God himself. Lord, thank you for these things. I pray that you'll go with us. Help us to remember that verse, to commit it to memory, so that we remember the mission that you're on, to seek and save those who are lost. In your name, amen.